The Ichabog. Chapter 3, Death of the Seamstress. The Bedman and Dovetail family both lived in a place called the City Within the City. This was a part of Shakespeare where all the people who worked for King Fred had houses. Gardeners, cooks, tailors, pageboys, seamstresses, stilly masons, grooms, carpenters, footmen, and maids. All of them occupied neat little cottages just outside the palace grounds. The city within the city was separated from the rest of Tewksville by a high white wall, and the gates in the wall stood open during the day so that the residents could visit friends and family in the rocks of Tewksville and go to the markets. By night, the sturdy gates were closed, and everyone in the city within the city slept, like the king, under the protection of the royal guard. Major Banish, Bert's father, was head of the royal guard, a handsome, cheerful man who rode on a steel-gray horse. He accompanied King Fred, Louis Bilworth, and Lord Flappin on their hunting trips, which usually happened five times a week. The king liked Major Banish, and he also liked Bert's mother, because Bertha Bemish was the king's own private pastry chef, a high honor in the city of world-class bakers. Due to Bertha's habit of bringing home fancy cakes that hadn't turned out absolutely perfect, Bert was a plump little boy, and sometimes, I regret to say, the other children called him Butterball and made him cry. Bert's best friend was Daisy Dovetail. The two children had been born days apart and acted more like brother and sister than playmates. Daisy was Bert's defender against bullies. She was skinny but fast and more than ready to fight anyone who called Bert Butterball. Daisy's father, Dan Dovetail, was a kitten's carpenter, repairing and replacing the wheels and shafts on his carriage. As Mr. Dovetail was so clever at carving, he also made bits of furniture for the palace. Daisy's mother, Dora Dovetail, was the head seamstress of the palace, another honor job because King Fred liked clothes and kept a whole team of tailors busy making him new costumes every month. It was the king's great fondness for finery that led to a nasty incident which the history books of Cornucopia would later record as the beginning of the, all the troubles that were to engulf a happy little kingdom. At the time it happened, only a few people within the city within the city knew anything about it, though for some it was an awful tragedy. What happened was this. The killing of Puritania came to pay a formal visit to Fred still hoping, perhaps, to exchange one of his daughters for a lifetime's supply of hopes of heaven. And Fred decided that he must have a brand new set of clothes made for the occasion, dull purple, overlaid with silver lace, with amethyst buttons, and gray fur at the cuffs. Now, King Fred had heard something about the hands streams not being well, but he hadn't paid much attention. He didn't trust anyone but Daisy's mother to stitch on the silver lace properly, so he gave the order that nobody else should be given the job. In consequence, Daisy's mother sat three nights in a row, racing to fish a purple suit in town for the King of Plutania's visit. And at dawn, on the fourth day, her assistant found her lying on the floor, dead, with the very last amethyst bun in her hand. The king's chief advisor came to break the news while Fred was still having his breakfast. 
The chief advisor was a wise old man called Herringbone, with a silver beard that hung almost to the man's knees. After explaining that the hen seamstress had died, he said, But I'm sure that one of your other ladies will be able to fix on the last button for your majesty. There was a look in Herringbone's eye that King Fred didn't like, and gave him a squirming feeling in the pit of his stomach. While his dressers were helping him into his new purple suit, later that morning, Fred tried to make himself feel less guilty by talking the matter over with Flora Spilworth and Blaboom. I mean to say, if I'd known she was seriously ill, panted Fred, as his servants heaved him into a skin-tight, saddened pantaloon, naturally, I'd have let someone else steal the suit. Her Majesty is so kind, says Billworth, as he examines his sour expression in the mirror over the fireplace. A more tender-hearted monarch was never born. The woman should have spoken up if she felt unwell, grunted Flapoon from a cushioned seat by the window. If she's not fit to the work, she should have said so. Properly looked at that, that's disloyalty to the king, or to your suit anyway. Flippin's right, says Billworth, turning away from the mirror. Nobody could treat his servants better than you do, sir. I do treat them well, don't I, said King Fred anxiously, sucking in his stomach as the judges did up his amethyst buttons. And after all, Jeff, I've got to look my blast as best today, haven't I? You know how dressy the King of Plutania always is. It would be a matter of national shame if you were any less well-dressed than the king of Florida, says Billor. Put this unhappy accent out of your mind, sire, said Flapoon. A disloyal seamstress is no reason to spoil sunny day. And yet, in spite of the two lords' advice, King Fred couldn't be quite easy in his mind. Perhaps he was imagining it, but he thought Lady Islinda looked particularly serious that day. The servants' smiles seemed colder and the maid's courtesies a little less deep. As his court feasted that evening with the king of Flotania, Fred's thoughts kept drifting back to the seamstress, down the floor with the last amethyst button clutched in her hand. Before Fred went to bed that night, Herringbone knocked on his bedroom door after bowing deeply. The chief advisor asked whether the king was intending to send flowers to Miss Dovetail's funeral. Oh, oh yes, says Fred, startled. Yes, send a big grief. You know, saying how sorry I am, and so forth. You can arrange that, can't you, Herringbone? Yes, sire, said the chief advisor. And, if I may ask, are you planning to visit this seamstress's family at all? They live, you know, just a short walk from the palace gates. Visit them, said the king pensively. Oh, no, Herringbone. I don't think I'd like that. I mean, to say, I'm sure they aren't expecting that. Hearing Bowden and the King look at each other in a few seconds, then the chief advisor bowed and left the room. Now, as the King was used to everyone telling him what a marvelous up he was, he really didn't think the frowns were nice, which the chief advisor had left. He now began to feel cross rather than ashamed. The ball put his doll's reflection turned back to the mirror in which he'd been combing his mustache before bed. But after all, I'm the king, and she was a seamstress. 
if I died, I wouldn't have had expected her to. The thing here to him that if he died, he'd expected the whole of Cornucopia to stop whatever they were doing, dress in black, and weep for a week, just as they died for his father, Richard the Radius. Well, anyway, he said impatiently to his reflection, life goes on. He put on a steel nightclub cap, climbed into his four-poster bed, blew out the candle, and fell asleep.